0: Hello, this is Paul Bainsfair, and this is the IPA podcast. Today, I'm talking to Julian Douglas, aka Dougie, the new IPA president. Dougie is the vice chairman of VCCP and CEO of APAC. He's had a glittering career in advertising, and he's also the chair of Black Representation in Marketing and a member of Facebook's UK Client Council. We'll be talking about his early days in advertising, his side hustle, Lucky Voice, and the thinking behind his presidential agenda. So Dougie, new president of the IPA, how exciting is that? Um, I wanted to start by asking you about your um, your sort of early days because I know from, you know, looking at um, your, your biography that, um, well I started I know, it, it didn't look like you came from um, the, the sort of place where you would know a lot of people that were in advertising or that advertising would be a natural choice as a career. So I wanted to ask you um, you know how, how, it, how it sort of shaped in your mind as something you might want to do. That's right.
1: I didn't know anybody in advertising at all until I started working in advertising. So when I was at, I went, when I was at university in in the days of the milk rounds, um, actually I, I had a job in my, in my, uh, in my last year at university, I had a job in the, to earn extra couple of quid. Um, I used to do two mornings a week, which was in the career service of the university. And they used, I used to work a big old printing press. And there was a, there was a publication called the bridge that would go out every week with all the milk round jobs to every graduate from, from university. And I used to print that with a big old press. And then we'd collate it and post it out. So I actually saw every single job that was offered to a graduate at university. And I sort of looked into some of them and I applied to quite a few of them. And I started to, I thought I'd work in a city. So I started doing interviews at different places and I got—I ended up getting a job as a derivatives trader um, after a pretty grueling interview. And at the same time, there was the Audi advert on telly that Frank Budgen did money, nothing to be ashamed of. People you see, the car you drive, um, brilliant ads. And I thought it was was so brilliant. And I just didn't want to be the city boy in the ad. I wanted to make the ad. So I, I started to look into it from then, really. And so as I worked the printing press and saw the jobs, I saw these agencies with funny names and um WS2 was one of them and that's where I eventually got a first job so it wasn't an obvious choice it was it was literally down to seeing that ad on tv I got into it and I guess the means of me getting into it was just understanding the milk ground and the grad uh, intake as it was at the time and so I was delighted a few years later when I got to make when I got to work on Aldi at BBH was sort of a bit of a life goal
0: that's uh that's quite a story and. Uh... I mean, it's really illustrative of how um, serendipitous it can be for many people to end up in in our career, advertising. Um, But I think, you know, and perhaps we'll come on to this later, we want want to try and encourage more people who don't come from the sort of background where they might know people in advertising to try advertising. And I certainly know, um, I mean, I'm older than you, and I remember when I started, it was quite commonplace for agencies to have um, lots of working class boys who came in working in dispatch or, or as couriers, um, production assistants. And, they, and many of them went on to become very successful advertising people. You know, now, I think we've lost a bit of that. And I, yes. think, I think you're, um, I know that you want in your presidency to encourage us to, you know, reach out more to uh, a wider community. So uh, it's interesting to hear how you just landed on it in that, in that way. Um, Yeah,
1: for for sure, and I think one of the the other thing that I'd agree with that, because I started in 97 and it seemed to be a far more diverse background, certainly on class and geography, who were coming into agencies through whichever door, whether it was grad intake or dispatch, just finding a way in. I think that's been exacerbated over time when the industry is seen as London-centric and it's expensive to come to London so that happens less. Um, that opportunity happens happens less, and that was that was a big push behind advertising unlocked was to get people to their local agency because that's more affordable.
0: Absolutely,
1: um, but I think it's something we, ha- we have to encourage it. Otherwise, we just get a really small talent pool of people pretty much the same.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's funny again thinking about it because I mean, even before my time in the in the sixties, there was this. There was this kind of um almost cultural revolution in, in in the uk you know with the beatles and 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 carnaby street and everything else and suddenly um, kids from all sorts of backgrounds went into photography went into mm. acting went into all sorts of things and i think that stimulated in advertising a similar response and that's gone out of i think i mean you hear people complain don't you about all the b- big acting jobs going yeah. to uh, public school kids now and you know, we, we seem to have reverted to yes. how we were in the 50s, it's really weird. Yes. But we'll come back to that. I want to pick up on your first job. You mentioned WCRS. I think that's where you, where yes. you landed. Um, and I, <laughs> I was with um, one of your first bosses the other day, um, a guy called Paul Lawson. He'll be, he may be known to some of, some of the people listening into this a very funny guy. And he said that uh, he, he saw you for your first review as a graduate pay review. He said you were, he thought you were having such a good time that he would ask you for some money back rather than give you more money. Is this true?
1: That is a true story. Paul Paul Lawson was my first boss. We worked on Carling, all the bass beers, Carling and Caffrey's, and those, and he was also head of account management. And my first job at WCS, I earned £14,000 base salary and a £1,000 bonus. and. I did have a very fun year, I must say. I, I, I loved that agency, I, I, I love I the feel of it. It's in Golden Square, it's so much fun. But I was spending too much money. I had about six grand on credit card debt because I was having so much fun. And I decided if I didn't get a pay rise, I was gonna go and take the city job after all. So I went into to see Paul. And in my head, I, I wanted three grand pay rise. And so I, I said to Paul, I can't, I can't live on this money. Um, I want more. And he goes, and he, his his line was, Doug, he'd be paid you fourteen grand and a thousand pound bonus, and based on your performance, you owe us the grand. <laughs> <laughs> My jaw hit the floor, and I wibbled and argued for thirty minutes. Um, and I didn't have to pay it back, but I didn't get a rise, and the other three grads at the time did. But I, I certainly learned a lot. I, I. I've learned to go in with a far better case to de- to demonstrate my value. Um but yeah, I I, st- I still owe him one for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he, taught you, he taught you the art of negotiation if nothing else. Certainly. Um, so so you so there you were at WCRS. and I mean you had had a stellar career, Dougie. I mean there's no no question about that. But one of the things that um sort of sets you apart from uh, certainly people have your generation was that you were one of the first to have what they call now a side hustle um and uh i'm talking about lucky voice your karaoke idea that you that you brought to fruition how did that happen i'm 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 intrigued to hear how you managed not only because i know how busy you must have been in your in your agency how you managed to pull that off
1: well it's you used the word earlier serendipity i mean i think that's a a massive factor in anything that good that happens. Um, the idea was my mate, Johnny Shaw's idea. He was a planner who I worked with really closely at, at BBH. We worked on Audi together and other things. And we moved, he, he'd lived in Japan for a year on an exchange scheme after uni, learning, learning Jap- learned to speak Japanese in rural, Jap- rural Japan. Didn't have much else to do but sing. In, in, in karaoke booths, because they're everywhere. They, they say in Japan, they say karaoke is like oxygen. It's just it's just everywhere. So he, he was really into it, and growing up, I'd always liked doing it in local boozes or any, anywhere I could, really. So we used to go out a lot, even at BBH, and sing with people from the agency. Then we'd sometimes go for, take clients along for birthday parties. We'd be in karaoke box on Fifth Street, at least once a week, often quite a lot more. And after a while, we were like, sure, surely there's money in this. <laughs> there's people in a, in a small room drinking quite a lot with, with entertainment. It was, you know, it's all 1980s technology that shipped over from Japan. It was had about 25 songs, just Elvis and Frank Sinatra. Wasn't up to date. All the songs were in Japanese. Like if this, but everyone loved it, and the thing that we really loved about it, it was such a leveler, because you could take the agency team and you could have Gwyn Jones arm in arm with the bloke from Dispatch belting out Oasis, whereas if you all went for dinner, it was quite staid, and you, you know you could see the levels. So we just felt there was this brilliant opportunity, and between the two of us, we sort of had a business plan. It, it was more an ambition. It was more an ambition than a, than a particular business plan. But when we went to um, Gray together, we did a pitch for the Air Miles Travel Company in the, Gary, the, the Rock and Roll Gary Lace era, and me and Johnny came up with our idea two halfway through the pitch. So we pitched the idea early, and the client liked it. But we still had two weeks to fill, and so we—you we like, we, can't just take the same idea back two weeks later. It's always just got a bit boring by then, so we needed something to bring a bit of gravitas. So we, I thought, let's get a talking head, and we we managed to film Judith Chalmers in her back garden, and she charged about five hundred pounds for it. But it, it didn't really land the gravitas we wanted around our idea. And then we were like, we need somebody who's heavier weight in the travel industry, and through a friend of a friend of a friend, we knew Martha Lane Fox, and we went and filmed. Lastminute.com. Of lastminute.com fame. And she was still in lastminute.com at that time. And we went along and um, did the interview with her and everything she said was bang on our strategy. And we, we, won, we won the pitch. Um, but afterwards, yeah, she didn't charge us. So I, I phoned her up and I was like, look, you know, Judith, it was 500 pounds. Can we, can we make a donation or give you 500 pounds? And she's like, I don't need 500 pounds, Dougie. So I was like, well, can we take you out for dinner to the tune of 500 pounds? And she said, yes. So me and Johnny went for dinner with Martha Lane Fox, which was quite an evening. And at that night, Johnny pitched the idea to her and she said, yes. And we actually went, and went for a karaoke that night to celebrate. The, the three of us then went to Tokyo on a five-day karaoke research trip where we did five hours karaoke a day for five days. Never the same song twice, apart from Petula Clark Downtown, which we did in every single, every single venue. We got all the ideas and we put all of them into what now is Lucky Voice on, on, on um, Poland Street. So it was it was born of obsession and frustration with how poor the karaoke experience was in the UK. We felt we we felt there was a real business opportunity, but a fundamental need. People love to sing together, but because we can't sing, we're embarrassed to do it. Yeah. But when people go to football matches or sport or religion or just drink, so they're less scared, they sing. So we see it sort of as much as a public service of getting people to come together and sing as a business idea. And you know, up,
0: up until the pandemic, it was it was really flying. <laughs> Oh yeah, of course you'll be. You're in the entertainment world and the That's events right. world, but hopefully that that will come back for you. Um, but what I, li- I like about it is it it it, it sort of plays to a, a thing I've always believed in, which is you don't need a brand new idea. You want yeah. an idea that you know works, and just go out and do it better. That sounds yeah. exactly what you did there. So well done to you on that. And I guess that taught you a lot about business, and um, you know helped you in the in the round anyway, didn't it? It wasn't just. Well, Something over there that didn't have any impact on your advertising career.
1: Well, I, I think it really did. And that's interesting, as you put it at the start, as a side hustle. Because you know, pitching a business, launching a business, getting it off the ground, even understanding things like shareholding, all, all, all the component parts that go into taking an idea and making it real. There are so many parts that you just don't know until you try it, until you do it. And the learning curve was huge on that. And there was plenty we got wrong in doing it as well. And I think every part of that journey has been directly applicable to my subsequent career in advertising. And I think it's been a massive uh, accelerator of my understanding of the agency business, my understanding of my client's business. But back back then, it was seen as distraction, a folly, which is just remarkable that that it was seen that way. Uh, to me, it, it wasn't at the time. I thought it was a ludicrous position to take, but um, you know, it cost me my job at the time. But I think, I think having people who, you know, it's, it's all. I think it's almost got too far now. where there's almost a the cliche: like if you don't have a side hustle, you're not a complete person. But there is so much you can learn from these, and I think, I think enlightened employers do encourage. And you see it much more these days. You know, enlightened agencies do encourage the their people in their teams in their agency to go and try things out because you learn so much putting it together, e- even if it fails. I mean, we got, we got lucky, or right? Our idea was good, our execution, sorry, was good. But even if it fails, you learn a lot. I've, I've done a couple since that haven't worked and I've learned plenty on those as well.
0: Yeah, that's a big... Um... That's a big mantra, isn't it, in Silicon Valley, that um you know, fail and fail again. You know, the, the idea that by failing you learn more. um But you know, I think the uh you know what you're talking about there and understanding business from a broader perspective is is something that I think advertising needs to work harder at. And I know you're a big supporter, and indeed, it's going to be part of your agenda, isn't it? The the MBA yes. uh, essentials course that we're running with the London School of Economics. Do you want to? talk about why you think
1: that's important yes um I think it's a great initiative and I was you know as a when when Nigel launched it during his his term I thought it was a brilliant thing to do I did an MBA I did the an executive MBA which is a two-year course so over two years a a day a week um, about five or six years ago and that was a transformative experience and my motivation for doing it one was from my Lucky Voice experience, because we came up with an idea and got a million pounds in and it works. And there's 10 of them and one in Dubai, but me and Johnny didn't make any money. So part of it, I was like, if we can crack another one, I wanna make sure this time we make some money. So I wanted to better understand the financing of business. And the second motivation motivating factor was, once you get into quite a senior level in your agency jobs, your conversations get, way beyond advertising with your clients. And the value that you're trying to create for your clients is way beyond just the output. And I, I felt underpowered in my understanding and my language for the seniority of discussions I was starting to have. So that was why I went and did the MBA. And it was a lot of work, but it was it was so useful. And even though it's quite it's quite it's a broad and shallow course an MBA, but it equipped me so well so much better than I was beforehand to really think about our own business and about clients businesses and so just even having the mere scaffold or knowing which questions to ask or where to look is so useful so I think having more people in the industry who've got even a low level understanding of that would would be fantastic for our own agency businesses and our clients' businesses. So the M- the LSC MBA Essentials course seems a brilliant opener because I think it's it's not it's, it's a proper course. It's but it's not too, it's not overly onerous. And I think the more people in the industry doing that, is it's, it's, it's got to be good all round. So I'm I'm definitely endorsing that one and encouraging as many people to to try it out as possible.
0: Yeah, I mean if. If you're listening to this uh, podcast and you're interested do get in touch with us at the ipa because it's it's really becoming very popular and as and as you said dougie it you know it's not a onerous thing to do i think it's three months or something like that uh all, all um e, e-learning um and yet it will give you the confidence as you've said it, give, it will give you the, the 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 language of business that's how i like to say it you know so you you'll have the confidence to to have those conversations that perhaps at the moment you feel a bit nervous about. So that's the end of the little ad for the- uh... and,
1: But the other thing I'd say about it, just as an addition, it helped me appreciate and understand the value we create in this industry, which is one of the real uh, themes in my agenda. Mm. So it was through, through doing an MBA or a course like this, you can better understand how valuable we are and. We're a very cost effective way to transform a business
0: yeah and, and what we do is growth, I always say, and that's what every boardroom is after you know they can they can go to the uh, management consultants of this world and the merchant banks and they'll get lots of good advice about uh, productivity and efficiency and uh, and smart money management. but growth is a difficult thing to get, and that's what we are very good at so couldn't agree with you more let's let's uh Let's really take the challenge on that one. Um, so here we are then. Look, you're, you're, you're the new president. It, it, it is an extraordinary time. You know, we're emerging, you know, blinking into the, the hopefully sunlit uplands of post-COVID. Um, your, your agenda is, is tremendously exciting and energetic. Um, Just give us a give us a just for those who 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 are late to the party. Give us a and you've had tremendous feedback, I know. Give us a sort of one minute uh, management summary of of what your what your agenda is all about and why.
1: Okay, so my agenda is called Ten X Accelerate Opportunity, and the real spirit of my agenda is that we're at a unique moment in time where we've proven to ourselves. in every level, individual level, family, societal, and business, how much we're capable of. We've, we've, lived, we've lived through, and hopefully coming out at the end of, the, a one-off social experiment where we've shown we can massively, fundamentally change the way that we interact with each other, that we use, do business, buy things, communicate, using technology. We've moved 10 years in one year hence 10X, and given so many of the discussions that have been happening for decades in our industry, what's the value of advertising? What's the contribution of marketing? How do we move the needle on diversity? Um, These are conversations that have been going on forever, but the movement has been marginal or progress has been glacial. And I guess my, my ambition, my challenge to the industry is to take some of that 10X spirit refusal to, to lose that real you know ambition and drive for change and take that and put it back into the debates we've already been having. because I think we know what we need to do on most of these fronts. It's just a case of actually doing it. it it's, it's, so this is a real call to arms to to get on with it if you like and and, and most importantly is valuing the contribution that we make because we've got an industry of people at tens of thousands of people who are smart, motivated, but most of all creative, who look at, who are really get up in bed, get out bed in the morning, trying to find new ways of tackling problems. And that's exactly what the country needs, what the world needs right now when you look at sustainability. So, so for me, it's a call to arms to go bottling that up and that energy and pointing it in the right direction. Let's see what we can do.
0: Yeah, and I think you... The other thing you, you said, which I think touched a nerve, was that it doesn't matter if we don't make progress of this magnitude on every front, yes. you know, let's, let's take those opportunities when we see them and really drive ahead, almost like a blitzkrieg, and let's push ahead in the areas where we can make real, real change really quickly. And I think that, that's an, a liberating thought because there's so much to do in many ways, you know, the, the temptation is to try and incrementally move ahead everywhere, and, you know, the world isn't waiting for us to do that. So I think you're, you're so right to say that we should be more, you know, directional in those areas where we think we can make the most progress.
1: Absolutely. And, and, that, and it's a big part of it when I look, especially at the industry level, I, I think we already know, on, like on diversity, for example, in the future of fairness, there is a roadmap. We literally have in front of us a 10-step roadmap of how to make this a more inclusive and diverse industry. So we've got the answer. It's, it's a case of us taking individual responsibility, agency responsibility, industry responsibility to, to actually make it happen. Mm. Um, so I, I guess that's a big part of the spirit is 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 really to get hold. And it, as you say, it doesn't have to be on every single thing. I think we need to pick our battles. There's lots of places where steady progress is great. But I also think if you look at, lots of the things in our industry and in the world, there was a moment when there are watershed moments where things change. And I just feel right now on a number of fronts, not least on race, given the the week that we're talking now um, with the confirmation of the murder of George Floyd, you know, I think it'd be remiss if we didn't take this opportunity to make some leaps. Mm. Steps aren't good enough on all fronts. Sometimes you you need to force a leap.
0: Yeah, and I think that that all of these big worldwide problems around race that we you know we've seen play out in the last year have have as it were prepared the patient for the treatment. Do you, do you know what I mean? It, it's one thing to to say you've got to take the medicine, but you need the patient needs to be in the right frame of mind. And I think the world has moved on. I think it's changed mm. and is more accepting of the need to change. Which I think gives us a chance to do what we're, what we're talking about.
1: And, and I think after a year of lockdown, and certainly um, from the people I see around me in the UK, people are demanding change. Yeah. People don't want to return to how we think it was back in 2019. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there is sense in this spirit of Build Back Better. You know, as, as we return to the way we work, the way we interact with each other, People want to do it better than they did before. And I think there's, there's also an opportunity, and this won't last long, where off the past year, there's a moment where we've got a, a better understanding or a heightened awareness of our interdependency, how, how much we rely on the people who are delivering stuff to the door. You know, key workers. Key workers wasn't a phrase that many people used. Funnily enough, we had Key Worker Monday singing at Lucky Voice for the past six years. But most people didn't really use that term or understand what it meant until you have a pandemic and a lockdown and you realise how important teachers, delivery, let alone the NHS, are. And that, that moment of interdependency, it's an opportunity. If we don't grab it now, perhaps we will just fall back into
0: yeah. old old ways of working. So I, I, I think, yeah, I, I I'm very optimistic that we won't. I mean, even just listening to the discourse around the lockdown in the first few months, we were saying things like, "Oh, I want things to go back to normal. I can't wait for things to get back to normal." You don't hear that anymore. No. You hear people say, "I want, I want to go back," and it's going to be different. You yes. know. So I think that plays to your to your argument. Hey, look, before we run out of time, I wanted to ask you about, a couple of little gems as well in your. In your um, agenda, that um, I'm really excited about, and, and and wanted to just ask you quickly about today. And, and one of them is the uh, is the think tank that you want yes. to establish. So um, tell us a little bit about your your uh, ambition for that, because I I, I love that idea, and I, I'm looking forward to uh, to getting involved in it.
1: Well, I think the the think tank idea is to get together a bunch of people who probably wouldn't normally have together before, Rory Sutherland, a key part in this, who's a fantastic, you know, former IPA president, it was in speaking to him, we came up with this, and as a behavioral scientist, he looks at the world, and as a creative thinker, looks at the world slightly differently, and like me he wants to wage war on incrementalism and and take on some societal issues by shooting for the moon really so we we'll, we we will pick a couple of big thorny difficult problems get a bunch of creative thinkers together and a client who will Fund, fund, the think tank. Really, should be more of an action tank. It's not just about us talking about it. It won't be a talking shop. You'll go, let's, let's, let's take an issue and see if, with the power of creative thinking, we can come up with a solution. Really, we'll probably run it like a pilot, like an experiment, to try and tackle it. And if and the, and success will be one, it moving the needle on the problem, and two, it being scalable. So we're looking at areas as diverse as litter as Food waste, as ageism, as mental health, um, and trying to demonstrate the power of creative thinking at coming at tackling thorny problems and making a disproportionate step. Um, it's very exciting because we'll be getting exciting thinkers in the room, and also we don't quite know exactly what our problem is or exactly how we'll tackle it. but. Um, there's been a lot of interest, a lot of energy already behind this, both in terms of people wanting to take part in the event and clients who are looking to, to fund the experiments. Um, so anyone listening who, who wants to get involved, please do get in touch.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, to my mind as well, would be a brilliant um, advertisement for our industry. Because if, if we can engage some, um, uh, I don't know, big media partner to help us promote what we're doing here, then the, I think that the intended consequence would be uh, lots of big mar- marketing companies looking at that and thinking, you know, these agencies, they're incredible. We, we need to make more of them. As you were saying, the value they add is is, is really something else. So I, I see it as a great way of re- waving the flag for, for the industry as well. So can't wait to get stuck into that. Well, look, we're, we're sort of at the end of our allotted time, Dougie. Uh, you, uh, I know from the feedback we've had, I mentioned it earlier from your uh, inaugural speech, that there's a fantastic amount of goodwill and enthusiasm for all the things that you're, you're talking about doing over the next two years. So let me, on behalf of the industry, thank you for taking on this job and say how much we're all looking forward to, uh, to working with you over, over your presidency. So thanks for today, Dougie, and we'll speak to you soon. Excellent. Thank you, Paul.